you know, the book of Revelation, wow, I don't know if any, are any of you reading the book of Revelation as we're going through it? Any of you spending time reading it? It's an amazing book, but it is arguably perhaps the most mysterious and at the same time the most misunderstood book in the Bible. And I hope that through this series and these weeks, and if you come to the Q&A, that, that whatever fear you had about the book of Revelation or ideas you had, that we can help you, first of all, get what the, the Holy Spirit wants you to get out of this wonderful book. And then secondly, uh, to really dig in. This book is for today. And it's not because these events are going to happen anytime soon. They're happening right now. They're all going on right now. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are present today. And we need to know that. We need to live accordingly. Prophetic literature. Let me say this before I read our text. Prophetic literature in all of the Bible, but especially in the book of Revelation, is not primarily about foretelling future events. Now, a lot of people think it's all about foretelling future events. Prophecy is about the future. But if you read your Bible and if you look at Revelation and and listen to what I'm telling you on Sunday with these sermons, prophecy is not about foretelling. In fact, there's, there's only a handful, maybe two handfuls, of scriptures in the Bible that are strictly about future events. Most of prophecy in the Bible, what the the job of the Navim, the prophets, was to foretell or foretell, not foretell future events, but explain what's going on at the time. Explain the what's and the why's. And last week I quoted a couple of scholars that said that's exactly how we should understand the book of Revelation. What is going on in this book and why? If you get caught up in the when and you get your newspaper, you listen to these crazy nut jobs on TV at night and they're telling you wins and wins and wins, that is not what it's about. You're going to miss. And in fact, even the most strident of those future tellers are having to take their timelines, their charts, and they're having to make them longer and longer and longer because guess what? Jesus may not come for two million years. He may not come for two million. So settle down into your Christianity and expect Him any moment. And prepare for a million years. If you do both, you will become an amazing Christian. Amazing. Because you will be living in hope. He could come any minute. But you'll be bearing down and doing good to this world around you and the people around you because they matter and the world matters. You'll be investing in your children, investing in your church, investing in an RUF at UTEP, investing in the future, picking up trash from the streets, for goodness sakes, making sure we live in a beautiful land filled with beauty and goodness. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, all right. Now listen to the text. Don't read along, just listen. We're in the second cycle of judgment and redemption. Every cycle is both judgment and redemption, and I told you there were seven of them, and we're going to start with the second one, and it's a long reading, but pay attention and see what you, or hear, see what you see as you listen. Don't read along, we'll look at that in a minute, okay? You ready? Let's go. 
The Lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven about a half an hour. So he opens this final seal and there's this dramatic moment of silence. And then this happens. Not chronologically, but it's a vision. But now listen to what happens. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense went up before God And the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and earthquakes. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the grass was burned up. And the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed." And the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and all the people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars and a third of the light became dark. And a third of the day was kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe! Woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the last three trumpets. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke Like the smoke from a great furnace in the sky, the sun and the air were darkened and the smoke from the shaft came up and locusts filled the smoke. And they were given power, like the power of a scorpion. And they were told not to harm, not to harm the grass or any green plant, or any green tree, but only the people who dwelled on the earth who did not have the seal of God. And in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, But death will flee from them. 
In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads. There were crowns of gold. Their face were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots and horses rushing into battle. And they have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people was for five months. And they have a king over them. The king from the bottomless pit. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, the second is coming. The sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill one third of mankind. And the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000, times 10,000. And I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses. Those who rode on them wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And the fire and the smoke and the sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues of mankind was killed. And by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur that came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails. And their tails are like serpents. And by means of them they wound. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thieves. And then... Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders fell down on their faces before God and worshipped Him saying, we give thanks to You, Lord Almighty, who was and is For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath has come. And the time for the dead to be judged has come. And for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints has come. And those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of this earth. Then God's temple in heaven, listen, was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple and there were flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and a great earthquake 
and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) That's a long reading, folks. My time is almost up. (laughs) Wow. What in the world is going on? Well, I'm going to help you explain. Let me tell you right away, they are not Black Hawk or Apache helicopters, and they are not tanks. Matt Purdue is here. Matt can tell you those are not a description of the tanks he has. They're not, these tanks are much worse than yours. They are terrifying. These images are terrifying images. And you cannot possibly take a vision like this and try to apply it to some modern machinery or mechanism. You can't. You mustn't. You have to see it in all of its grand and glorious horror. It is meant to terrify and to strike fear into the hearts of those who hear it. And to reassure and comfort those who have the mark, the seal of God. And so what do you see? Well, I'm only going to point, I only have time really to point out a few things. So we're going to look at what do you see? Why do you see it? And who do you see? And I'll go as quickly as I can. And then if you have specific questions, I'll be happy to answer them. But John sees this amazing vision. And what he sees are three things. He sees more than that, but three things that I'm going to point out. And that is he sees prayers, he sees trumpets, and he sees the end. The end of the world. We saw it last week and the seals, we saw the, or, and the week before that, we saw the end of the world. And you're going to see the end of the world again. This, all this ramps up to the end of the world. And so the prayers, look at verse 2 through 8. You have it in front of you in your bulletin, or if you have your Bible, it's in chapter 8. This first little section, it's like a little interlude. After that moment of silence and explanation, there are cries. You remember the cries that came out from under the altar in chapter 6, the saints that had been martyred. They're crying out and they're asking, How long, O Lord, how long? And then at the end of chapter 6, Another voice says, who can stand? Who can stand in the judgment? Who is going to stand before God? Who's going to be able to stand there? And if you say, oh, I'm fine. I'm going to be able to stand there. You need to come talk to me. There's only one person that can stand in the judgment of God and stand and look Him face to face. Prostontheon. The one who is God, who was God, who was, who was incarnate, He is able to stand. And everybody who's with Him will be able to stand too, but only with Him. And that's what chapter 7 is all about. But look at verses 3 through 5. The prayers of God's holy people. He's answering their prayers. Do you see it? That little section. He's answering those prayers. He's mixing those prayers with incense and with the fire from the altar. And he's taking, saying, I hear your prayers. And he takes the fire and he casts it on the earth. And he said, I will vindicate you. I will judge the earth. I do hear your prayers. And let me tell you, our hearts, I don't know about you, my heart aches. It aches aches every day and many times a day to know that God is really hearing my prayers. Some of my prayers are big prayers, some are little. But when I pray, I want to know that I'm heard. And if I think God is indifferent, or that He's ignoring me, it crushes me. 
Doesn't it crush you? When you pray and you cry out to God and you say, what's going on in my life? I don't understand. Why am I suffering? Why does this world look like it does? Why has this happened to me? And you feel that He's indifferent or that He's ignoring you? It can crush you. And these were people that were being crushed. And it looked like there was nobody answering their prayers. And they're crying the same prayer we cry. They were saying, how long, O Lord? How long are you going to forget me forever? When are you going to hear me? And he gives John this vision. Immense, glorious. I do hear you. I will answer you. Our view, our view is so narrow. Think about it for a minute. We're trying to see the entire universe, the entire cosmos. We are trapped on earth. I don't care how big telescope they want to make. I don't care what scientists ever say. We are still only seeing a crack. We are seeing, and then we go up to the crack and we peek through and we try to see, and what can you see through a crack? What? Only the tiniest little sliver of reality. And I'm telling you, this is all we see of this grand universe around us that stretches galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy. We are only seeing a scratch, a fraction. And Jesus Christ and His Father says to humanity, trust me, trust me. I do see it. Will you trust me? I say it every week to you and I'm saying it again today. Will you trust him? You remember Uncle Screwtape from a few weeks ago, the senior devil that was talking to the junior devil? Listen to what he said to the junior devil about one of their greatest threats against the evil kingdom, Satan's kingdom. Listen. He's writing a letter to his Junior, his, his nephew. And he says, Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy, in other words, you don't even want to do God's will anymore, but intending to do it. In other words, you just persevere. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust him. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, talking about God, looks around upon a universe. Listen to this brilliance. Looks around upon a universe from which every trace of God seems to have vanished. And asks the question, why have I been forsaken? And still obeys. You know, that is the greatest expression of God's faithfulness and trust. And the proof that you trust Him is when everything goes. Everything is washed out from underneath. The knees are gone and you're on the ground and you've got nothing left. You have been stripped. And you still say, I trust you. I don't understand. 
I don't like what's going on. In fact, I hate what's going on. I have no reason to go on for another minute. But I will. I will take one more breath. I will take one more step. I will trust you one more time. I will persevere because you persevered for me. And you've asked only one thing. He's only asked one thing of you. Trust me. And if you do, then someday, I don't know when, I don't understand when, why, I don't know all the details, but someday, C.S. Lewis said, the crack will open and you will be ushered in by the captain of your salvation. Never, never think that your prayers don't matter. That's what John is telling a church that is under severe persecution, that are getting killed and murdered right and left, who don't have any chance of anything, and they're getting ravaged. And he's telling them, don't give up. Trust me. Be patient. Persevere. God will answer. This is the proof. He will completely and rightly and at the end of days whenever that is whether it's today or in a million years from now he will judge and when he does he will judge rightly and he will do all things rightly he will see that every bit of injustice has been reconciled and paid for and he will see that every good and righteous deed is being rewarded through all time and throughout all history. And that can be the only thing that will motivate us to live for Him and live for others around us. Yes? Do you get it? Otherwise, you have very little hope. So you see the prayers of God's people being answered. Look at the second one, the trumpets. This are the, all these verses and it jumps over to chapter 11. We skipped all of chapter 10 and, and part of 11 because we're going to look at that's another interlude. That's another vision he has. But look what he sees. The trumpets, what are trumpets for? You know, I mean, trumpets, they announce, they summon people. You know, in Numbers uh, chapter 10, they summoned people to the tabernacle into God's presence with a trumpet. They blow these silver trumpets, they had two of them, and everybody would know to go to the tent and see God. It signaled the release. You know, every, every seven years they had a jubilee, and every 50 years they had a jubilee year, and they would blow these special trumpets, and the trumpets would signal freedom from slavery and the, and the, and the, and the replacement of all you had lost in those years. And the coronation of the king always signaled with the trumpets. And then, of course, in the Bible, there are these, these pictures of a final trumpet, which you see in the, the seventh trumpet. These trumpets are blowing and judgment is being poured out and we want to know, we want to know when. And I've been telling you week by week, when is right now? We're just not getting it here. Do you know if there were bombs falling and you said our grocery stores were empty? Most of you can't even imagine a grocery store empty. Have any of you seen a grocery store that's empty? Any of you been in a hurricane? No? See? I've been in a hurricane in Florida and run to the grocery store. And guess what you see in the grocery store? 
Nothing. I need batteries. No batteries, no bread, no milk, no eggs, no nothing. Shelves are empty. We don't know what that is, but imagine that you did live in Darfur or that you did live in Aleppo and you were a Christian. I know most of you don't believe there are Christians in Aleppo, but there are. Imagine what that must be like. Imagine that you live in Honduras or El Salvador and that you're a Christian and that you have no hope and you're trying to make your way to freedom. I know, I'm not going to talk about immigration and the caravan, but I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. What if you had nothing? Where would you go? What if you were stripped of everything? Where would you go? My wife, Marivi, is here because Castro did that to their family in Cuba. And my father-in-law came here with $1,200 and nothing else. And my family came from Syria and from Lebanon at the turn of the last century, and most of them came with absolutely nothing. Maybe a few dollars in their pockets. Imagine having nothing. Well, that's how people that believe, just like you, are living in places on this earth today and have been and will be forever. That is just the way it is. And they're reading Revelation, and you know what they're getting out of it? They're soaking it in because they understand. And I want you to just think, because we are being seduced by all the luxury we have around us. Do you all understand that? We are being seduced. Satan has got us asleep. And my job, folks, is to wake you up. There you go. Thank you. One amen. All right. Thank you. I'm going to have some, get some more coffee. You guys aren't making the coffee strong enough in this church. All right. <laughs> okay, listen, quick. I've got to go through the seals fast. For the first four seals, if you notice, there's a lot of... I mean, John didn't just sit down and start jotting this in some other, you know, like he was out of his mind. He was sitting there thinking. He was having a real vision, and he was writing something profound. He has, we have four horsemen, four horsemen that are released. Now you see four realms of the earth that judgment strikes. Look at them very quickly. The first one is land. Hail, fire, mixed with blood, down, came down on the earth. And a third of the earth, notice, notice, not all the earth, that's coming. If you notice, in the seals, only a fourth of things were, were judged. Now it's a third of things. A third is how much more than a fourth, you mathematicians? Just say it's a little bit more. <laughs> because we don't know the calculations. That's no, a little bit more. And then you're going to see later more, and then it's going to get all. All. Okay? Then the second is the sea, the land, the sea. The second trumpet, a great fiery mountain. It came into, don't think meteors and all that stuff. It's not going to be anything like that. It's going to be much worse than an asteroid. Well, it's worse. Because it's going to hit you. See, if you were living 
in Aleppo and you were seeing ISIS dropping mortars and bombs and killing and murdering, you would see the great fiery mountain. Do you understand me? Just because it hasn't hit you, just because the mortar hasn't fallen on your house, doesn't mean that that's not happening. And we're waiting, we're looking out there with the telescopes, waiting for this thing to happen, this phenomenological thing. It's already happening. And the creatures in the sea die, and the ships are destroyed. And the third one is fresh water. Sea, merchants, all of that, water. Great burning star fell from the sky, a third of the rivers, springs, the waters. And the name of the star was wormwood and bitterness, and water was bitter, and many drinking that water were dying. You know what happens when these crazy, terror, horrible people who go and conquer other people, you know what happens? There's no water. There's no food. There's no place to hide. There's no place to run. There's no money. There's nothing to... You are absolutely at the mercy of these trumpets of judgment. I hope you see it. And then the fourth one, the sky, a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars, dark as night, and an eagle crying, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, the three woes, the three next trumpets, it's going to get worse. And now you see the fifth trumpet. Horrible image. I don't know. The kids, you know, kids that read the book of Revelation get the pictures better than adults. But imagine this fifth trumpet and the smoke billowing out like a furnace. You can almost see uh, the, the, uh, the mountain in Mordor and the, and the billowing smoke and the evil locust pouring out of this smoke and going into the land and devastating everything. Those of you that love the Lord of the Rings, you know, when, when Sam and Frodo crossed over into the land of Mordor, it says that they, they felt the oppression and there was no green thing and there was no clean water and there was nothing beautiful. There wasn't even a spark of a star. There was no light. Everything was dark because it was clouds. And the oppression from the eye was staring and driving them down and they felt the weight of it. And their king is Apollyon. And then the sixth trumpet. An army from the river Euphrates. And those of you that know your Bible know that every enemy of God's people came from where? Where did they come? They came from Assyria, right? They came from Babylon. They came from Medo-Persia. And where were all those kingdoms? Where did they all live? Other side of the Euphrates. In the northeast. So every, the symbolism is so rich, so full, I can't even go into it, I don't have time, I'm running out of time. The enemies of God always came from over there. The ones that oppressed God's people always came from there. And I heard a voice Verses 13 through 21 of these four horns, a voice from the gold altar, and he says, Release the angels, these demonic forces that have been holding back those armies that oppress God's people are released. And it's 200 million 
In other words, it's no army that you and I would ever imagine, and it's not a real, it's not meant, it's meant to be symbolic of all the army, of every evil, of all the oppression that's ever come against God's people. And so far as I know, the army of the United States is not after us. Are they, the army after the Christians? No, no, they're not. The, the, The armies are not after the Christians here, but you can go somewhere else and the army's after you. They'll shoot you dead and skin you alive. And then finally you see the end. The seventh trumpet is the end. Loud voices and the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. So here we have, folks, a second complete cycle. You hope you saw the first one. Now you're seeing a second complete finished cycle of judgment and redemption, of God judging the world and the people in it, rescuing his church, rescuing the people that will trust him, and at the end, doing what is right. Why are you seeing this? Why are we seeing it? One reason is, listen, listen carefully, folks. If you haven't gotten it now, I beg you, listen. Believing people, those of us who claim Jesus as our Lord, we are meant to be in this world with everybody else suffering. We are meant to be here for them. We are meant to be the salt and light. Not to escape in some secret rapture and be taken up into heaven so that we escape. And by the way, if you believe in a secret rapture and that you're going to be raptured and go to heaven for seven years while all this is taking place, if you believe that, then as your pastor, I have to give you some very important advice. Are you ready? I, with all my heart, look, I love you all. Leave a window open in your house. Because when you get caught up, you're going to get stuck on the roof, the ceiling. And you're going to need to just know where the window is. In fact, you can spray paint some arrows. That way, when you get raptured up to your roof, your ceiling... You can get to the escape, the window. And all of you should start driving with your car windows open because you could get pinned. Some of the cars today, I mean, really, the ceilings, right, in the car, you could get pinned. Now, I'm serious. I'm wondering why you don't, if you believe in a seven-year tribulation and a rapture before, why you don't have your windows open? Because you're going to get stuck. You think you're going to go through the top of your car? Those things are metal. And don't go to a movie theater. For goodness sake, there's no way to get out. You're going to just get stuck up there. There's going to be all these people stuck up there. Some of you believe that rapture stuff, and so you're wondering, is he serious? If you believe it, leave a window open. What do you think I believe? It's a bunch of bunk. Look, we don't have all the answers, but we do know this, that the church is part of this world. 
And if you live in Darfur or you live in Somalia or you live in Aleppo and you're a Christian or you live in the United States of America, we are meant to be next to our neighbors who are in trouble and lifting them and holding them and loving them and this church being a safe place for the least, the last, and the lost. Why? Because such were we. I have no business being in God's sanctuary. I don't even belong here. And if you think you do, you need to come talk to me. We are here by the grace of God. And He's not going to take us away when the world needs us the most. And they need us now. I'll tell you, this country needs us now. And this world needs us. It needs the beauty The one place where you can come once a week and hear this beautiful music and hear these amazing words. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Look, the place you can go and once a week at least be with others that are suffering and hurting like you should be the church where we can be honest with one another and say, I need you. And if Christ the King isn't like that, we need to put a for sale sign out there and get out and go do something more worthwhile on Sunday morning. Yes? Absolutely. But if you will be a safe place, if people can come here broken and beat up and hurt, and they know they're okay here, then we will be doing what this, what this message of this book is saying. And who do you see? Who do you see? Look, you have to jump over to chapter 11. You have to look in the middle where it starts in verse 15. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Christ means Messiah. Christ means salvation. Christ means King. That's why we named our church Christ the King. And our name, the church name is not, this is not the name that church planters are going with today because you want to get all the religious stuff out and you want to name it something, you know, uh, city church or center church or other church or the other church or the other other church or whatever. You want to be something else. I love being Christ the King, Dave and Rick and Hugo, Gary. Let's never change the name. Christ is King. He's Lord. And He has said to this world, I, I am going to come and I am going to make all things right. Will you trust me? Will you? Yes, there's injustice. Yes, there's hatred. Yes, there's destruction. I can't answer all the questions about suffering and dying and pain and cancer and death and broken and not having any money. I can't answer those questions. Divorce and kids off the rails and all the... I cannot answer those questions, but I know one thing. I know one thing. I know this down to the bones of my body and will gasp it with my last breath. I know one thing. And that one thing is that all the suffering and all the horror of this world is not because He doesn't love me. And not because He doesn't love this world. Because the scripture that every one of us knows, and we learn it from the time we're little in Awana up until we are old and and holding it up at a football game. 
For God so loved what? The world. The cosmos. He loves His world. Every single piece of it and every single part of it. Not the parts that have Christians stamped on them. He loves it all. And He sent His Son into this world. John 3.16 says, For this world. So that we could look out and say, we will get in the fight with you, Jesus, against these demonic armies and these horrible locusts. We will fight for your great name. We will go to our death if necessary for that name. Because we know one thing, one thing. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son so that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. The crack opens and we are ushered in. We may not see it in this lifetime. I don't know if I'll ever see it in this lifetime. In fact, I don't even care anymore. My favorite quote, it's in my office on a plaque. By, by the one you at least expect, John Calvin. He gets such a bad rap. Listen to Dr. Calvin. In the cross of Christ, as in a magnificent theater, the inestimable goodness of God is displayed to the whole world. In all creation, the glory of God shines, but nowhere has it shone more brightly than in the cross, in which there has been an astonishing change of things. The condemnation of all men has been manifest. Sin has been blotted out. Salvation has been restored. In short, the whole world has been renewed and restored. Do you see why they called him the theologian of the heart? In the cross of Christ, we see the splendid theater Of God saying to a broken locust army, dark, evil world, He comes in light. And He says, I will conquer with My Son on a cross. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? My answer, me and my house, yes. Will you? I pray you will. Father, We thank You for Your goodness and Your mercy. I don't know how anybody lives without Jesus Christ at the center of their lives, but I know there are people that think they can do it. And I pray that You would have mercy on us, Father, and help us to live the reality of this Jesus Christ, the King, who is Lord and Master of all, and who comes into this world in face of all of its evil, and does the unthinkable for us, gives us his body 
and his blood. Oh, Father, open our eyes. I pray you will do it. Help us to see. And now we ask that you would feed us in our hearts by faith. In Christ's name, amen.